all the preachers that are absent that we start. Today it's time to be holy if we all stand and join in singing. Take time to be holy. First one.
Alright, welcome all once again. This is our second night in our church to host this uh, soul winning revival. And we praise the Lord for what He has done so far. And it's been a great blessing to all of us who have been here uh, since last night. And again, it was indeed um, a great blessing, but we look forward also once again for the working of uh, the Holy Spirit of God tonight. And um, I just would like to welcome for those who are, your first time here, first time in our uh, meeting tonight, your first time in our church, um, and you are here tonight, I would like to recognize you. Anyone? Anyone there? Um, do we have a visitor? Or you you brought a visitor with you. Can you introduce your visitor? Did you bring a visitor tonight? Please uh, introduce your visitor so that we can recognize that. I brought my wife. <laughs> you, you brought yourself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So again, uh, I know um, everyone is shy now. Uh, we will um, just to remind you also for tomorrow. We are um, going to have two services in the morning. No Sunday school. We'll just jump into our um, divine service. But there are two services to do uh, in our uh, morning service. And our first speaker tomorrow would be, um, I think, uh, Pastor, if I'm not mistaken, Pastor um, or Brother Micah McCurry. If I'm, I, mean, I don't know, maybe, uh, and also Pastor Louis Howell. So. Um, please uh, be here as early as you can because um, there are two uh, speakers and I want you to, you know, uh, I, I want you to hear everything they say and, and, and participate in the singing, participate in every aspect of our service tomorrow. So please be here as early as you can. So, uh, again, not here, but our venue tomorrow will be in Mount Eden War Memorial Hall. Um, that's along Dominion Road, number 489 Dominion Road in Mount Eden. So we will have our morning service there. That's a continuation of our Soul Winning Revival series. And uh, in the evening, uh, we will have different venue again. And that would be in Mount Albert War Memorial Hall. And there will be two messages again uh, with that. Uh, and, and by that time, we'll have Pastor uh, Johnny Datoy. Um, as our first speaker tomorrow evening and um, Pastor uh, Dennis Litterman to wrap up the Soul Winning Revival um, tomorrow for at least for Oakland and um, then the, this uh, Soul Winning Revival will will fly to or will go to Makatani for the last leg uh, of this um, meeting and um, I you are you are welcome to join us as we drive down to Fakatani uh, this coming Friday and uh, we will leave early here for those who are not working then you can um, go with us uh, ride our, our van will leave um, in the morning of Friday and for those who are working and wanting to go to uh, to join uh, um, the meeting uh, brother Bong um, has suggested that it's better for you for, for you to leave early Saturday rather than arrive there late in the evening on Friday. So I think that's a good idea because when you arrive late there and you will sleep in a, in a strange place, you do not know, so uh, you could not uh, maybe uh, take a good rest. So it's better to um, have a good rest at your home, but leave early Saturday and join us for our uh, meetings over there Saturday morning and afternoon. 
and uh, I know that you will still be blessed if you come uh, on those um, um, services. All right, so please, you know, um, uh, check all this schedule and and uh, join because um, again, every time that uh, there is a service, every time that you know uh, the word of God is preached, um, we expect that the Holy Spirit of God will work, and we just make sure that when the Holy Spirit of God works, we are there in the midst of it. Because um, it is our heart that the Holy Spirit of God will work. So um, just make sure that yourself is present over there or wherever is our uh, meetings in these um, days and tomorrow. So uh, just, uh, just um, you know, avail yourself. Uh, this is a great blessing because I'll tell you, these people will not um, fly down here in, in, in this land, very far, far uh, place. Uh, for them to come and again um, it's very um, there's a lot of efforts uh, being done here a lot of preparation and the cost and everything uh, the resources being spent and just for uh, the sake of encouraging all of us here in New Zealand and uh, I hope that you see this that this is really important and uh, this is very beneficial to our you know, walk with the Lord. And uh, I know that we'll get help uh, with this, and I know that we'll get encouragement. So continue to, you know, um, uh, join us when, whenever you are free. Please uh, avail yourself with this great blessing of uh, the service. And uh, tonight, um, we would like to, um, again, um, request our uh, special number to come uh, to render the song, the Ilantan family.
uh, I think twice, once or twice. So the, the, the soil had already been piled up. Uh, the seed had been planted. Uh, the watering was happening. And we all stepped into one another's labors. Our reward is according to our own labors. But only God can give that increase. Um, and, and it's so important that we do not step in front of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to look at a leper today. Uh, the leper. Um, in Luke chapter number 17. And see when a leper's eyes were open. And this message can shift either to the saved or to the unsaved. Um, if you're a born-again believer, it's a message for you to take to someone that's unsaved. Um, if you are not a born-again believer, young man I talked to today, I said, if you're 100% sure you'll go to heaven, he did not know. Um, if you can say, I do not know, I'm 100% sure I'm going to go to heaven. Um, get that right before you leave here today. This message is for you. I'm going to take, we're going to take a look at the faith of this leper. He had three uh, points, basically, in his faith. He had a, he had a private faith, a public faith, and a personal faith. Um, and all of them played in it together to get him to the point of not just his eyes being opening, but they had to be open, um, but to be born again, to trust Christ as personal Savior. Um, Luke 17, we'll read the scripture, pray, and look, jump right into what God has for us. Luke 17, verse number 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there were with him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down uh, on, his face, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering uh, said, uh, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Verse 18 and 19 says, There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. Of course, he, he was a Samaritan. He wasn't a full, full-fledged Jew. Verse 19, he said unto them, Rise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I want to look at this man here. Help us. Get us encouragement as we do our soul-winning efforts. Um, to go to that next leper. And we're going to look at the, the leper being a type of sin. So everyone that's walking about out here on these streets, they're lepers before God. And we can learn from this how to apply it to our soul winning efforts that we can open their eyes that they can trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the day. We thank you for this time we can come together. Open up our hearts to the leading of the Spirit of God to help us to open up their eyes that they can be born again. If there's one here tonight whose eyes have been opened, they refuse to be born again, or the eyes have not been opened, that tonight their eyes will be opened and they will trust you as personal Savior. Lord, touch our hearts in a mighty way. Give us knowledge. Give us wisdom. Give us encouragement, Lord, as we take this message out and apply it to our sowing efforts here in Auckland and in Pakatani and throughout New Zealand. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Leprosy is a hopeless disease. It's basically called living death. Living death. Um, it's chronic. Um, it can be contagious. Uh, it's nerve endings uh, that will uh, just kind of die. So fingers die before they know it in the deserts. And that's where this was at over in the desert area. Uh, there were a lot of blind people. You think about the word of God. How many times Jesus healed a blind man? Healed another blind man. Healed another blind person. Blindness was a number one factor of leprosy, and the purpose or the reason was just one little fine piece of grain of sand would get lodged up in their eye, 
uh, nerve endings were gone, so they didn't feel it. You and I, we get something, we get an eyelash in our eye, and we're up there with whatever we can to get that thing out because it's just irritating us to death. If we did not do anything about it, it would sit there and it would infect. Well, that's what happened, happens to a leper. They don't feel it. They don't know it. The leprosy did not start because he was out there running with someone that gave him leprosy as much as it could have been just one little speck, grain of sand that wasn't dealt with. And as a result, the infection came in. The eyes were blind, rubbing the eyes with his fingers. That infection then would go to the fingertips. Another thing with leprosy, his fingers would be falling off. The nose uh, would be uh, decrepit. Many things about leprosy. Um, a, a leprosy because it would destroy the nerve the nerve endings. Uh, the nerve damage would cause uh, the sensation to be unfelt in your eyes and your your fingers and your nose and your ears. Um, uh, all of that leprosy now, according to Leviticus chapter number 13, is a type of sin. Leprosy is a type of sin. Um, leprosy in Leviticus 13, 3, um, like leprosy, sin is more than just skin deep. It's not just on the outside. It goes down to the nerve endings. Uh, Leviticus 13, 3, be deeper than the skin of his flesh. It is a plague of leprosy. So it's something that's much deeper, deeper than skin deep. And sin, like leprosy, it's deeper than skin deep. It goes to the heart of mankind. In verse number 46, uh, the first part, like leprosy, sin defiles. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He cannot do anything about it. He is absolutely unclean. So sin and leprosy, they both defile. At the end of verse number 46, like leprosy, sin separates us. And we have a separation from God, do we not, as a result of our sin. But it goes on, the Bible says, he shall dwell alone without the camp, shall his habitation be. Verse number 52, lepers, just like leprosy, sin has to be burnt. Sin has to be burnt. We know where that burning is going to happen one day. It's called a place called hell. In verse number, second half of verse number 52, leprosy, it shall be burnt in the fire. The young man that I was leading to the Lord today, when I got through what sin was about, I had to, I had to go to the beginning, Genesis 1.1. I had to teach him about sin. I uh, had to teach him about what good works are. When I got to teaching him about um, what sin was all about, we got to Revelation 21 and verse number 8, where the fearful, the unbelieving, the whoremonger, the sorcerer, the idolater, the murderers, and all liars shall have the part in the lake of fire and the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I asked him, and it's a good question to ask someone, if you get to this point, is ask him, if you wake up tomorrow and you wake up in a lake of fire, where do you think you would be? <laughs> Hell, you wake up in a lake of fire, and that's exactly what it is. Sin, leprosy, just like a, a like leprosy, sin must be burnt. It must be dealt with. Now, with leprosy, the priest is the only one that can declare the leper to be clean. Uh, Leviticus 14, and verse number 2. This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. So only a priest could declare the leper to be clean. And for you and I today, who is our high priest? Jesus Christ, he is our high priest. Hebrews 14, or 4, verse 15. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is our high priest. Now, Jesus has already declared us to be unclean. Leprosy is unclean. Sin, like leprosy, has declared us to be unseen. Romans chapter number 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When it comes to sin, it doesn't matter whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved. We are a sinner, period. Being saved just means you're cleansed by the blood of Christ. 
means that your sins have been dealt with and you will not burn alongside that body one day. You will get a glorified body as you enter into heaven above. We have already been declared unclean by Jesus Christ, but we can praise God that Jesus as our high priest, he can declare us to be clean. And that's what the priest would do. 1 John 1 and verse number 7. The blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from how much sin? From all sin. We are cleansed from all sin. So we are already born, declared unclean because of the sin of Adam and Eve passed upon to us. Romans 5 and verse number 12. We are declared to be unclean. We have the sin of leprosy. We can do nothing about it. It has separated us from God. But we can praise God that he, as our high priest, he can declare us to be clean. And it's only through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter number 17, we see a leper. He's been cleansed. And he's cleansed by our high priest, by Jesus Christ himself. Only one out of the ten, though, came back uh, to, to, to put his faith in Jesus Christ. Healed on the outside. Uh, leprosy being more than skin deep, but still on the outside of where the soul is, where the heart is, where the spirit is. Man, these ten lepers, they were cleansed. They were told to go back to the high priest. Only the high priest could declare them to be cleansed. But only one turned back to Jesus Christ. And when he turned back to Christ, put his faith in Christ, not for the leprosy, but for what the leprosy is a type of, and that is sin. Um, three points I'm going to have today. The first one in verse number 15 of Luke chapter 17 is his public faith. His public faith. Luke 17 and verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face. At his feet, giving him thanks, he was a Samaritan. When he when he saw, when he saw, that means, guess what? His eyes were open. When he saw, and he saw what Jesus could do, and what he had done to them physically, his eyes were opening up. And that's what our theme is all about, to open up their eyes. Well, this leper's eyes had been opened. He was the only one who wanted just to simply turn around and give Jesus thanks. Wanted to turn around and give God Almighty thanks for healing that leprosy within him. If my back was healed five years ago, God came down and touched my back, and I didn't have to go through my two surgeries, and I know what you've been through. We know what you've been through. We, we don't know what you've been through, but I guarantee you, you can say the same thing. If God would just come down and touch your body and heal your body, you would instinctively, I hope you would instinctively turn around and want to glorify God and give him the thanks. Well, here you have a half-breed Jew. Half-breed Jew. He's called a Samaritan. As a half-breed Jew, this Samaritan is the only one that turned around and gave thanks to God and to God Almighty. The only one that did. The only one that humbled himself enough to bow before the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's observe a few things, just maybe two or three points under this one about his public health, his public faith. The first thing in verse number 16, he was a humble leper. He was a humble leper. We cannot open their eyes if they're not going to humble themselves before God. We could never be born again if yep. we do not humble ourselves to bow before God, God Almighty. In verse yep. number 16, he fell down on his face at his feet. At, at his feet. In Matthew 18 and verse number 3, it says, And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? We cannot come to God on our own terms. We can't come yeah. to Jesus Christ on our own terms. 
We have to humble ourselves as we bow down before Jesus Christ. Pride is one of the greatest barriers to opening up their eyes. Yep, pride is a right. great barrier. In New Zealand, there is great pride. In America, there is great pride. It doesn't matter where I've been talking to people giving the gospel. There's so much pride in mankind today. It has become one of the greatest barriers. And guess what? It was the very first thing that brought sin to you and I today in the Garden of Eden was pride. Satan, so full of pride, now it's passed upon all men. And that one thing called pride keeps most people from being born again. Pride is to be set aside. Right. Ephesians 2, verse number 8 and verse number 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. boast. You know what that word boast means? To take pride in something. To brag about something. Why would Jesus ever have to come and humble himself, God Almighty, with all the riches in heaven above, all perfection in heaven above, God of all of the universe comes down and robes himself in this filthy, wretched, vile, decrepit flesh today. Why would he even do that? Go to the cross in Calvary with the most humiliating death that mankind could have had if you and I could work our way to heaven. If you and I and our pride could stand before God one day and say, I am the one that got myself here. That's not where this, this leper, where this leper was. This word pride in Ephesians 2 and verse number 9 of the word boast means to take pride, pride in it. And boasting and pride, these are a sin. And listen to what Peter said. 1 Peter 5, 5. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace. And that's the same word from Ephesians 2 and verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So this heathen right here, this, I mean this leper right here, he was a humble leper. Then he's a heathen leper. Look in verse number 16 of Luke chapter number 17. He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a half-free Jew. He was, he was an outcast Jew. He was a leper. Uh, he was despised by the Jews. They were, the Samaritans would mix the law with their paganism. Uh, it was, they weren't pure. The law wasn't pure for them. He would have never been invited into the temple because he was a half-free Jew and a pagan on top of that. Yet he's the only one that recognized Jesus' power, recognized the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, John 4, 4 says, and he must needs go through Samaria. He was a Samaritan, but Jesus still was there to save that humble and save that heathen leper. Um, he was a helpless leper. Leprosy is a type of sin. A type of sin. We saw that in, in the introduction. It's a disease that's literally incurable. Uh, in the time of, the, uh, of Jesus, it was untreatable. Sin is exactly and equally dreadful to us. We cannot treat sin today. We, we can do nothing about sin. It's incurable for us today. After you're a born-again believer, guess what you still are? A sinner. Uh, if you ever told one lie in your life, according to Revelation 21, verse number 8, you deserve the pits of hell today. Guess what you're going to do after you're a born-again believer? You're going to tell a lie. Everything about who we are, we are still a sinner after we are born, a born-again believer. But after we're a born-again believer, our sin or sins are covered by the blood of Christ. We are accepting God's payment for our sins, so we do not have to go to hell and pay the penalty for our sins uh, for all of eternity. Disease now of sin and leprosy, it's incurable, it's untreatable. Uh, sin is dreadful. It can, it, it, it can gradually creep up on us, and then it will destroy our life. James 1.15 says, 
then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Sin can creep up, it can come along slowly, but for you and I, we were born into that. As a born again believer, you can still sin today. Like this leper, we are helpless, we are hopeless, we are outcast because of this one word that's uh, this one word called sin. Romans 5.12 tells us who it came from. Uh, I've said that verse a minute ago, but to quote it says, Wherefore, as by one man, that man is Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death was passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So he had a public faith here. That public faith was humbling. He humbled himself before God. He was a known heathen. The other nine would have known who he was. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a surprise to them. He was not an outcast to the other nine. He was a part of the ten because they all had the same dreaded disease. If he did not have that disease of leprosy, he would not have been with those other nine. He wouldn't have been nowhere near another two. He was an absolute heathen and an outcast, and he was helpless because of his sin. The second point in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 18 he had a public faith. Now he has a private faith. It says he returned to give glory. He returned to give glory. In verse 18, there are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And he, that stranger means that he was the outcast as far as being a Samaritan. When no one else was looking, he opened his eyes and he gave God the glory. You ever heard someone say when you're, when you're soul winning, you're giving them the gospel? They say, oh, that's a private thing. You ever have that? That's a private thing. I don't want to get saved right now. That's something that's private. Well, guess what? It's absolutely private between you and between God. But it's something that you need to deal with between you and between God. This leper here, he had a private faith. He turned around after all else was gone. And now he was bowing before our King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And give God the glory for that. It said that he returned. He returned to give glory. That word return, simple definition means to turn back. So he was going this direction, and all of a sudden he turned back, and he turned back to Jesus. After returning, he did not go his own way, or that same way once again. Verse number 19, uh, verse number 19 tells us that. In verse number 19 it says, And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. All of a sudden he did not have to go back to the priest, and the priest declared him to be clean. He was clean physically, and now he was clean spiritually. He went, and he went out a totally different direction. The nine, those other nine, they still had to go and show themselves to the priest. But this one did not have to do that now. Showing to the priest, it was a matter of the law. We read that back in Luke or Leviticus 14, and verse number 2. But this is what the purpose of the law is. We can't get confused about what the law is all about, what, the, what, what God's law is about. It does not save anybody. The law can't save any person. The law gives us instruction to let us know that we're a sinner. But here's what the purpose of the law is for. The purpose of the law is to draw men to repentance. The purpose of the law, we cannot neglect the law in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. doesn't mean we have to go down the Ten Commandments, uh, but it does mean we have to go somewhere in this and deal with sin. We deal with sin from the laws of God, not from the laws of man. And the purpose of the law is it would draw men unto repentance and draw them like this leper. He returned. He turned back to God. He turned to God Almighty. The leper now, he's doing it physically, turning back unto God. And that gives us an illustration of what faith is all about. This leper returned to God. Faith now requires repentance. And this leper had both of these. He was turning to God. 
and he put his faith in what Christ was doing, what Christ was doing for them. Only when pride is swallowed up can we truly be repentant. Remember, this leper was already humble. When humility is there, repentance has an opportunity then. Only when we truly repent can we be truly forgiven. And only when we are forgiven are we saved and are we born again. We can't skip these points. We can't skip dealing with sin. The young man I dealt with today um, told me he didn't know what sin was. And uh, if, you deal with, if you have a little kid or someone or a smart aleck older person um, that tell, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't know what sin is. They, you, you know what they're meaning. They're just meaning, shut up, get out of my face. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Well, in all honesty, he didn't understand what the word was. So I took him back to the beginning, back to where sin started, explained sin. Then I jumped from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 21 and went to Revelation 21.8, dealt with what sin is. All of these sins in Revelation 21.8 shows us that God considers sin to be sin. If you're a murderer, you deserve the lake of fire. If you told one lie in your entire life, you deserve the lake of fire. If you're a good person and you've only committed one sin in your entire life, that sin of lying, and you are the best person in this world, you will not go to heaven until you repent and you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the law is about. We have to deal with the sin of mankind. It's only when pride is swallowed can there truly be repentance. Only when there's truly repentance can there be forgiveness. Only when there's forgiveness can there be salvation. Acts 20 and verse 21, Paul said he was testifying to both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This leper, he was humble, he was repentant, he had faith, and now he is cleansed. Now physically, Jesus already healed them. They were heading their other direction. All ten of them turned in to go to the priest, except one turned his heart back to God. He bowed down and gave glory to God. He had his repentance. He had his faith, and Jesus let him go another way. He did not have to go back to uh, back to the back to the high priest. True repentance is a godly sorrow. True repentance is not a worldly sorrow. It's truthfully seeing that you're a sinner. And if we do not deal with sin when we're when we're trying to open up the eyes of a lost and dying world, we don't deal with sin, there will not be any repentance. And if there is no repentance, then there can't be true faith, and then there cannot be true salvation. I believe today, without a doubt, our pews and our churches today, sound Bible-preaching churches today, they have unsaved church members. They have unsaved deacons. They have unsaved music leaders. They have unsaved school teachers. Why are Sunday school teachers? Why is that? Because everything on the outside is a whited sepulcher. They had it all lined up. They had their tie on straight. They had on their Sunday best. They looked the part. They played the part. And they earnestly was doing all that they could in the good works that they should have been created unto after salvation, but never came to Christ by repentance and faith. They're lost as they ever were, and they're going to go to hell one day. They're yep. going to see what that lake of fire is that lake of fire is all about. True repentance is a godly sorrow. It's seeing that I am such a sinner. This remember, we already hit the point that this leper was helpless. He knew that he could do nothing, and a sinner sees himself as absolutely helpless. Then they're turning to God as their only help. Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God. They're turning in a godly sorrow. Look at, first, look at 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9 through 11. You have, you have godly sorrow, true repentance, and you have worldly sorrow. 
One of them is selfish. The other is generous. One of them uh, results in regret. The other gives us joy. One of them leads to ruin. And the other leads to salvation. Paul gives a good definition of repentance. He says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Verse number 10 is important. Godly sorrow worketh the repentance to salvation. It works that sorrow. It works the repentance. It works you knowing that you have absolutely no hope without God Almighty. Then there can be salvation. But when there is worldly sorrow, it worketh death. It's going to send people to a devil's hell one day. Verse 11. For behold the selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, at what carefulness is wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all these things, listen to this, ye have approved yourselves to be clear of this matter. What matter? The matter of repentance. You have proven that you've cleared yourself of this matter of repentance if you have a carefulness, which is an eagerness to resist wrong and do right. If you are a born-again believer and you have truly repented of your sins, you have a carefulness. Yes, we are still sinners. We may sin less, but we're not going to be sinless. But if you truly repented of your sins, you have, been, you, you have approved yourself to be clear in the matter of repentance. If you have a carefulness, you have an eager desire, a truthful, eager, eager desire to do what's right and not do what's wrong. But you'll stu- still do like Paul said. Paul said in the book of Romans, he says, those things which I should be doing, I'm not doing. Those things which I should not be doing, I am doing. Oh, wretched, saved, born again, believing man I am today. What can I do about this? The next verse says the only hope for him as a born-again believer is the same blood of Jesus Christ that saved him. You need, If you have a carefulness, then you are proving yourself to be clear of the matter, the matter of repentance. You also have a clearing in verse number 11, not just a carefulness, but you have a clearing. That word clearing means to be eager to disapprove of what's wrong and to defend what is right. When the right thing comes along, you want to make sure that you are backing it. You are behind what is right and you want to push aside what is wrong. You have an indignation. You know what indignation? Look how these things are building. You You have an indignation against sin. You so despise the sins that God saved you out of. You were drunk. You hate drunken anymore. You're, you're a drug addict. You don't want drugs anymore. You have such an indignation at sin anymore. And guess what? When you fall back into that sin, you've got an indignation at yourself. But remember, the end of verse number 11 says that all of this shows you have approved yourselves of the matter of repentance. If you have an indignation against sin, you have fear. That fear is a fear of doing wrong. Not the fear that God is going to make you pay in hell one day, but you have a fear that you're going to lose your eternal rewards because you walked away from God. Walked away from godliness. Walked back into the sins of your past. You don't lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your rewards. You have a fear of God, a vehement desire. That means a, a deep, passionate desire to do what's right and avoid what's wrong. You have a zeal in verse number 11. Uh, an intense, positive desire to do what's right. All of these, can you, can you get these definitions? 
if you have truthfully repented of your sins, you've just got such a, a, a desire, a zeal to do what's right and an absolute indignation of what sin is all about. And you absolutely despise yourself, a wretched man that I am, because I turned around and told another lie. I am the chiefest of sinners, was what Paul said, because he did one or two things wrong. So indignant at the sin, and it approved him of that matter, that he truthfully was repentant. Now, put yourself in this verse right here. Are you in this verse right here today? If not, maybe you're not approved of the matter of repentance. Maybe you've come to Christ saying, I want to believe. It's all right here. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, it's got to be right here as well. We confess with our mouth, but it's got to be believing in our heart. If you have a faith that's only up here today, and you have not been reproved of this matter of repentance, you may not be born again. I would right. deal with that today. I would right. deal with it before it's eternally too late. Yeah. Not only a carefulness, not only a clearing, not only an indignation, not only a fear, not only a vehement desire, not only a zeal, but a revenge. That means a willingness to take the punishment you deserve. When you do sin, you, 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 you fess, what, you, when you mess up, you fess up, you confess up, and you take the punishment, you get it over with. That's what this word revenge is talking about, a revenge against yourself and who you are. I've messed up. I'm sorry. I want to be blameless before you. It doesn't mean I never sin, but I want to make it right. I want to confess it to you. I'll pay my due. I do something against society. I do the time in the jail. I pay the fine for what I did. It's such a revenge. You have so much hate sin. And this approves you in that matter of what repentance is. Then the last one, he says a clearing. Are you clear now? Pure from carnality and your chaste and your holy. You put all of these together right here. The carefulness, the clearing, indignation, the fear, the vehement desire, the zeal, the revenge. You ought to feel so clear before God Almighty. You are holy before God Almighty. You're not going to be perfect, but we are to be perfecting. We are to be growing into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus, into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse number 11 ends by saying, And all these things that we just went through, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. If you don't know what repentance is, or you don't know the definition of repentance, or you've heard so many different definitions, you're confused about what repentance is all about, go through the list in verse number 11 and see whether or not you are clear of repentance in your life. You've approved of it in the eyes of the Holy Spirit of God. He had a public faith. He had a uh, private faith. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 19, he had a personal faith. A personal faith. Jesus said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Praise God for that. He was already whole, remember? He already healed him. His, his leprosy was gone. Physically on the outside, his eyes were like new. His hands were like a baby's hands. He, he was already healed. The priest was not going to heal him. He was just going to the priest that the priest could say, yes, he has been healed. He was already made whole physically. So what Jesus is saying right here, there was a spiritual matter that was dealt with. Why? He had his humility. He had his repentance. He had his faith. Now he had his cleansing. He was clear of the matter, approved of the matter of what repentance was all about. In verse number 19, and he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy. You know what thy is? I like the old English. I like the old English. Stick with the old English. Yes. Thy is a singular personal pronoun. You know what that means? 
Your salvation is personal. Amen. It is private. It is between you and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thy faith hath made thee whole. First John chapter 5, and verse 10 through 13. Listen to all these personal pronouns. This I started the young man in verse number 13 of this morning because I wanted him to see that the Bible says you can know. And I laid it down and I said, this is what the Bible says. We went through it. I had him read it. But let me read back from verse number 10. Look at all these personal, personal pronouns. Verse number 10, 1 John 5. He, first pronoun. He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not uh, God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God hath gave, gave that God gave of his son. Verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Verse 12, he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Ten times right there, personal pronoun. Salvation is personal between you and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Amen. Christ. When we open up their eyes, and we're talking about us now that's born again, taking the gospel out, when then we open up their eyes, they have an opportunity at that point to have a personal Savior. They have an opportunity to have a personal set, a, 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 a relationship with Jesus Christ. This leper, he had a personal relationship with God. It said, Jesus says, thy, personal pronoun, faith, that's made thee whole. Personal faith does not save your neighbor. No one is able, able to save uh, someone else. It's all about a personal faith between you and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many hear, uh, many hear, but refuse to have a personal faith. They hear it here, and it's up here, but it never makes it down to here. Hebrews 4, verse 2. says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Listen to the next three words. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Not being mixed. We can't mix faith with church membership. We can't mix faith with our good works. Amen. We can't mix faith with turning over a new leaf. Right. We can't mix faith with anything. You have to have a personal salvation. You must personally receive and personally believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye, personal pronoun, receive the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It is a personal salvation. This leper had he had a personal faith. This message now can go both ways. It can go to the saved and to the unsaved. Today, I challenge you, church members, you that have familiar faces here today, are you approved of that one word, the matter of repentance? Or go down that list. Are you so mad at yourself when you sin? Are you so mad at sin itself? Are you so fearful because of the consequences that's going to come? When you do mess up, do you try and hide it? Or are you ready to cover, uh, to take care of it, that, you're not, that you remain blameless before uh, the church and before the world? You need to be approved for that matter of repentance. If you came to Christ with a head knowledge and not a hard knowledge, heart knowledge, 
you're going to hell. Point blank. You have to have repentance in order to be born again. Yep, Don't remove right. that word yep. out. To open their eyes, we have to walk in these sh- the leper's shoes. You have to have a public faith with a loud voice, a private faith. That he returned and gave glory. You have to have a personal faith. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Ten were healed, but only one of them got saved. Ten were healed, but only one got saved. What happened to the other nine? Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 tells us. It says, because that when they knew God, they were face to face with God Almighty. They glorified Him not as God. One of them did turn and gave God the glory. Neither were thankful. None of the nine were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They didn't want to be with this Samaritan. Do you think they saw the Samaritan turn back and give thanks? I think so. They, he was probably high telling with the other ten. They're ready to get down there to the priest so that they can be declared clean so they can go back to their families. All of a sudden, they're hightailing it down to the temple, and the Samaritan screeches to a halt, turns back, and he gives thanks. The other nine didn't do that. They had a foolish imagination. They were more concerned about themselves. They were more concerned about their darkened heart, and never did turn back to give God Almighty. They knew Him face to face. Only God could heal physical leprosy, and they were face to face with God Almighty, but only one turned to give thanks and to glorify God. Their eyes, they closed them. They did not want it. Their foolish hearts were darkened. What happened to the what happened to the one leper? Well, he turned. And when he turned to his only hope, he got his cleansing. Acts 4, verse number 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He, he met that man, that one name, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And he knew him face to face. And he was born again. This leper got cleansed. He got saved. And only God can save a sinner. Only God can cleanse a leprosy. He got both of them in that same day. What about you all? What about us today? What happens with you? If you're not saved today, you need to come to Christ. If you don't know that you repented of your sins, you truthfully cannot put yourself in that verse that Paul said that it proves you of the matter of repentance and all those words that basically says you absolutely hate sin now or what's wrong and you love to do what's right and you know when you mess up you got a fear because God will bring judgment and then you have a repentance before man and you want to stay clear before man. If all of this, all of that verse is not in you today, you're either seriously backslidden or you never have been approved of that word repentance. And if you haven't repented of your sins, you're dying and you're heading to a place that's called hell. What good is a soul winning revival if the soul winners die and go to hell? Mm. We can lead the Muslim to the Lord or, or Buddhist to the Lord today. Let a Tongan Methodist faithful church member to the Lord downtown the other day. What good is it if we're the ones that's heading to hell because our eyes were wide open? But we refused to repent of our sins. We just walked away with the head knowledge and we cleaned it all up on the outside. And we're doing the job. We're dispensing it. We've got all the things happening right on the outside. But one day, Revelation chapter number 21, verse number 14 and verse number 15, you'll be cast into the lake of fire because your names are written down in right. the book of life. If you're not yep. saved today, today can be the day yep. of your salvation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, uh, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus asks today, right now, He's asking you today, where are the nine? He's asking today, where are you that are not approved of that matter of repentance? You're part of the nine. Where are you today? 
And I ask the same question, where are you at today? Title of the message today, uh, I don't know if I gave it to you, it is when a leper's eyes were opened. Now you've seen when his eyes were open. When his eyes were open, he was looking into the eyes of a personal Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But at that moment, he had a decision to make. The nine decided they're not going to make that decision, went their own way. The one turned, and then Jesus said, his faith hath made him whole. Romans 10 and verse number 9 shows us his decision. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. He is the same Lord over the Jew and the Samaritan. And to you today, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Your public faith, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Your private faith, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Your personal faith, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. I ask you today, are you a part of the nine? If you are, where are you at? You're sitting in the pew, but one day we'll be in heaven looking for, where's the nine? Where's she at? Where's he at? Where are they at? Where are you at today? Are you approved of the matter of repentance? To open their eyes, the whole context of that verse has to deal with repentance, and it's something that's removed from so many plans of salvation, not in this church here, but so many plans of salvation, or it can be innocently skipped over if we're not dealing with sin. If man does not deal with sin, you don't have to use the word repent when you're leading someone to the Lord. They won't know what that word repent is all about anyway. But you got to deal with the matter. You have to deal with the matter. That matter is repentance, and it's a matter of sin, sending you to hell. And you have to come to the point to see that I am absolutely helpless, hopeless, and turn to your only hope. You can't just turn and put the head knowledge in Jesus Christ. Amen. Where's the nine? Where are you at today? Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to the Lord in prayer. The leper opened his eyes. Today, you can open your eyes, and we can take it out, and someone else can open up their eyes. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and I'll hand the invitation and the time over to the pastor. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can open up the Word of God. The theme being to open up their eyes and we see a leper's eyes were open. And Lord, I pray today that if there's one today that is not approved in the matter of repentance, that their eyes have been opened, but they still have a decision to make. Denying went their own way. Their hearts were darkened even further. Their eyes were closed once again. But today, if there's one sitting here who has not repented of their sins, that they don't take it for granted. That they don't take that for granted. That they can be that one leper that turns and their faith then makes them, makes them whole. Lead us through these services, Lord, as we go out and take the gospel out to open up their eyes. Put someone in our path, Lord, that we can lead someone to the Lord. Give us fruit for our labors. Most of all, save that sinner that's here today. One of the nine, if you're touching their heart and convicting their heart today, that they will turn unto you for eternal salvation. Pastor. Continue to close your eyes and bow your hands. The message is very clear. We might be one of the nine. If you are saved this evening and you have not come unto the Lord and thank Him, and you have not done what the Lord Jesus Christ made you to do, it's very clear in His instruction before He left this earth when He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. 
Goyi and to all nations. There is a command. If you are grateful to God, if you are thankful to God of your salvation, we ought to obey that command. But we are found guilty again. Probably we are one of the nine, but why would we stay there? We can come to the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness. Lord, I know that I am ungrateful. If you are like that, why don't you come to the Lord and rectify the wrong? We are ungrateful. If we are not serving the Lord, if we are not, um, uh, we do not have passion for the souls of men to be saved, then we are ungrateful. We are ungrateful to the one who saved us. My friend, where, where are the nine? Are you one of the nine? It's time for us to uh, look into this because the Lord is so gracious to us. The Lord has done everything. All those ten lepers experience the great blessing of the Lord. They experience that life-changing experiences like you and me tonight. We experience that life-changing experience of our salvation. And yet, it's so hard for us to serve, to serve God. What is there that makes us so hard to serve God? Our God is very good to us. And we are not keen of serving Him. My friend, the Lord is asking you, where are you at now? Where are you? The altar is open. You may come to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me of being ungrateful. Lord, forgive me of being unkind. Help me, O God, that I may be right before your eyes. That's the way, brother. That's the way. Come. The altar is the way. This is the place where you can talk to the Lord. Pour it out unto the Lord. Give it unto the Lord. You have desire to serve, to serve God. You have desire for the salvation of your brothers and sisters, your relatives, your parents, your friends at school, at work. Do you have the desire? Give it unto God. Give it unto Him. Because He can help. Let's continue to pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for um, prompting us once again, Lord, and to look into this matter where, again, Lord, your word is very clear, telling us that we can be one of the nine. Lord, we don't want to be ungrateful and come before your presence. And Lord, you, you, will, you will show to us that all our lives here on this earth after our salvation are not really blessing unto your sight because we are ungrateful. Lord, we have been saved. And that is a matter of life and death. And now, Lord, we, we are not careful of turning unto you and, and thanking you. Lord, I, we know, we understand that the expression of thanking you is going to others and telling others what, how good you are, you are to us. How we got saved. How, how, how our sins are forgiven. And Lord, 
why it's so hard? Why it's so hard uh, for for us to speak those good things that happen to us? Please, Lord, forgive us and help us. And thank you, Lord, that every time we have the altar, we can uh, come to you and pour our spirit unto you, Lord God. Now, Lord, is the time. And help us, Lord. Help us. Because as much as we have the desire, we we also have some some problems in our personality. We have we are we are afraid. We are shy. We are we are we cannot open our mouth. Please, Lord, help us. Because I know that so many people here love you and they want to serve you, but they are just overcome by their pride, maybe selfishness. But Lord, whatever it is, whatever is the problem, why we cannot work for you, we cannot serve you, please Lord, right here, right now, take it, take them all away from us so that we can serve you and we can serve you faithfully. Lord, bless these people and thank you Lord for uh, these people that have come forward and for all those people Lord that are still there with you. I know Lord that they have a desire for you. Please Lord, uh, continue to speak to them and impress upon their heart that there is this blessing in serving you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight, um, it's still it's still a um, good time, but as you know that we have a, a, a video clip that I showed you, I mean, I put in the schedule there. That video clip is actually um, the preaching of Pastor Bob Hughes. And that preaching, I have listened to that video, uh, audio. That audio really always believes to my eyes. Every time I listen to that, maybe dozens and dozens of times. Driving, long drive, I will play that. Oh, just tears flow down my cheeks. I cannot help it, I cannot stop it. And this is very, very much, you know, I'm connected to soul winning. And I want you to see that. I want you to hear. And I want you to take notes. If you have not listened to this message ever before, take note of this or what he has said. It's just 20 minutes or 23 minutes preaching, but it can move you into tears. And But before we go to that, let's sing one, one hymn this time. Let's sing one hymn. And then after that, uh, we have the uh, Pinida family to sing a special song before we will play that uh, video. Brother um, Matt is um, with us one song and then we will have the Pinida family to come for the special number.
seated and we're going to have, I can't say your last name, so we're going to have Brother Oliver at this point.
One day the preacher was walking down the road and he came to a river. He looked over there on the side and there were a group of people that were in captivity or in prison. The preacher did not just walk on down the road and go to his destination and forget these people, but he stopped and he went over there where they were. And he sat down and he observed their condition. And he saw their pitiful situation. And he stayed there for seven long days. And the Bible says that he was astonished at what he saw, what he heard, what he felt. This visit down by the river changed Ezekiel's life. And just following this, God spoke to this man and commissioned him to be a watchman of his to warn the people of their need of preparing to meet God. I wish tonight that you would join me for the next 25 minutes and we will take a visit to the Philippine Islands. And I believe if you will visit with me on these needy islands, your life will never be the same. I believe that Ezekiel was changed by his visit down by the river. I believe as he sat there where they sat, God spoke to him as he saw these people. He did not just see people, but he saw souls in need of a Savior. And I hope that tonight after we take this visit to the islands, you will never be able to be complacent when God speaks to your heart about warning people of their wicked ways. I wish we could all go out to the airport tonight and get on a 747 and we could fly out to the Philippine Islands and we'd get off on a little island called Mactan. It's just about three miles from where I live. I live on the island of Cebu. But we would have to land on this island because this is where the airport is. And we'd get off and we'd cross over on a barge to the island of Cebu and go up to my home on the side of the mountain overlooking the city of Cebu and overlooking the other islands within my view. And we'd have lunch together there in the city of Cebu tonight and then we'd go out tomorrow and see some of the places that God has laid upon our heart to try to minister to. But I hope as we make this visit tonight, you'll be able to see the things that I have seen for 16 years. As I sit there looking out the window day after day, I can look over and view the sunrise over the island of Leyte and over the Mactan Island. These were beautiful sights as the sun came up over these islands for many, many years. But every day as I sit there, it seems like that the beauty has left because I can see islands, and I do not just see islands, but I see islands with people. I see people there that nobody seems to care. I see people there that our Lord spoke of in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 8 when he says, If you'll ask me, I'll give you the heathen for an inheritance. Who wants the heathen? Who cares about the heathen? Filthy, dirty, godless, unsaved, unregenerate? Who would ask God for the heathen? I did. I asked God for the heathen. I asked God to give them to me. And as I look out over the island of Leyte, and you look out with me, I've done it for 16 years as my wife sat there, and my 16-year-old daughter sat on my right, and my 14 daughter sat there on the left of the table. As I would eat my breakfast and my lunch and my supper, I can look out and I can see the island of Leyte with a million and a half people with only one missionary. As I look to the right, I can see very clearly the island of Behold was 750,000 people, not one missionary. 
Not one missionary. You would go up a little higher. You'd be able to look across on the other side of the island of Blakey and see that island of Samar with two million people. Not one missionary. This is the thing that I face constantly. And some people may wonder why, oh why, Bob, do you emphasize missions? But I cannot help but emphasize missions as I have sat where they sat for 16 years. And I have seen and I have felt and I have heard the cry. No man careth for my soul. Nobody seems to understand. Nobody seems to get upset about the heathen. Nobody wants the heathen. Nobody cares about the heathen. Nobody wants to go to the heathen. Oh, listen, I say unto you tonight, after 16 years as a missionary, I have to stand before you tonight and confess that my people have taught me more than I've ever been able to teach them. They've taught me some things as I sat with them, and I've slept in their beds and in their homes, and I've eaten their food, and I've ministered to them, and I've been out in those islands for all these years, and they've taught me some things, and I'd like to pass these things on to you tonight. And I feel as if you will just sit with me for a little while as we sit with them. I believe we'll be able to learn the things that I've learned over these past few years. First of all, my people have taught me the meaning of simple faith. The meaning of simple faith. The simple faith. Just to believe God. Oh, I wish that we had not become so sophisticated in America that we would doubt this book. I wish that we still could look in this book and say, God, I believe every word of it, and then get up and act accordingly. Not just a simple faith to say, I believe in God, but to get up and begin to act upon that which we say we believe, and then begin to get out and do something about it. My people take seriously the word of God. When my God writes in his word that he shall supply our every need, I tell my people this. And though I was teaching them and telling them all along that if you're a child of God, you can pray and believe God and God answers prayer, even down in my old heart, I, I didn't have the faith that I was asking them to have. Sometimes my people come to me and say, Pastor Hughes, would you please pray with me about a certain item? And really, folks, I have to confess my faith is not that simple to believe like they are. But they come to me with a, with a request and want me to pray. And I have to say, okay, let's pray. Let's get on our knees and pray. And you pray first. And while he's praying, he prays in such simple faith. Lord, you said in your word that if we ask, we'll receive. And as they believe God, and my old heart begins to reach out and say, I can believe God too. And when he says amen, then I pray. He's taught me the meaning of simple faith. Mrs. Madula, who was saved through listening to the broadcast, I buried her husband. She was left with nine children. Little baby, three months old, little Mario. It seems like that there was no one that she could turn to but God. But she had learned to have a simple faith in God. Left a destitute woman with nothing in this world. For out there, there's no such thing as somebody to help when you're destitute. I went to her home one morning and knocked on the door and she came to the door and said, Pastor Hughes, come in, let me tell you what God did. This morning we got up and we had no food. There was no rice, there was no fish, there was no milk for little Mario. And I asked my family to come in and we got on our knees and we began to pray. And we began to pray and ask God to supply our daily bread. 
And while we were praying, there was a knock at the door, and I went to the door, and there stood a man there with a sack of groceries and says, The Lord laid it up on my heart to bring these to you. My God is a God that wants us to believe Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must believe Him. We must believe Him. Oh, today, if we could only go back to the Bible and just have simple faith, just to believe, and then to be able to step out on this faith and, and, and ask for big things. Oh, I'm going back to the island with big requests. I tell you, my friends, uh, get out on the limb. That's where the fruit is. Oh, listen. Let's dare to do the impossible. You don't have much of competition there. Do the impossible. I'm going out there by the grace of God and we're going to be able to build a building that will accommodate 2,000 people. And Lord willing, about four years, we're going to give you folks a race for your lives. Uh, you pray for us, folks. We've got some people that love God, too. And they have simple faith. And, and they just pick up this book and, and God says it. We believe it. We will attempt great things for God. And we're getting ourselves out on the limb and we're going to have to trust the Lord. But as I sat where they sit, Paul, Ezekiel said, I sat where they sat. Now, folks, let's look out and see some other things as we make this visit tonight in the Philippines. As we look up and down the islands, you'll want to visit some of our stations where we preach the gospel. And, and you'll notice that they'll teach you the same thing that they taught me. Not only the meaning of simple faith, but they'll teach you also the joy of giving. Isn't it wonderful? I come back to America and I preach in 177 churches going night and day. Sometimes I meet pastors who have an impurity complex when they begin to talk about money. But really I don't. I've gone there to the islands where our people have so little. And I pick up this book and I tell them, ye must be born again. And people get saved. And after they get saved and they follow the Lord in baptism. And I teach them the word of God is the very word of God. And the Bible says bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't say bring all the dollars. Because those people don't have dollars. But they bring the tithe. When I go up in the mountains where our people don't have money, I begin to teach the same thing. Sometimes they say, well, Pastor, what's the tithe? I say, okay, get a basket. And I take a basket and I'll write on the outside, the Lord's tithe. And so I begin to teach them. Now, folks, if God gives you ten pigs, one pig belongs to God. If God gives you ten chickens, one chicken belongs to God. If God gives you ten eggs, one egg belongs to God. And our people have found out the old hen lays better when they tie. And folks, you'll learn the same thing if you'll put God first in your life. They've learned it's a joy to give. And I teach them that the tithe is holy unto the Lord and it belongs to God and you're a thief if you touch it. And our people are afraid to touch that basket. I wish American people would be afraid to touch the tithe and afraid to touch that basket. You say, well, Brother Hughes, I don't understand about tithing. Come on, get your basket, and we'll teach you a lesson on tithing. But we teach them not only to have one basket, we teach them to have another basket up and above the tithe. This is called the blessing basket. If you want to get a blessing, start getting above the tithe. I've gone all over this United States this year, and I've taught people to give up and above the tithe if you want to get a blessing. To trust God for something above the tithe. And it's been thrilling to my heart as I've seen people get involved that never dreamed that they could give before. And they're doing more than they ever dreamed that they could do. Brother Curtis Goldman called me the other day from Albuquerque, New Mexico and said, Brother Hughes, said we thought we were doing a good job until you came out here and our people started giving a thousand dollars a week faith promise offering up and above their regular tithe. Says, uh, 
You don't know what this did to our church. God did something. Little church down in Fort Worth, Texas, Brother Alvis Edmondson running 400 in Sunday school gave $40,000 to missions last year. He said, well, does he need to build? Oh, yes, he's building a new three-store Sunday school building. He needed money to build. He took an offering three weeks ago, $80,000 cash offering on the button. The people gave it. <laughs> Didn't have to pay any interest on that. That just gift. People, when they start giving, they learn the joy of giving. Somebody says, not long ago, now, Brother Hughes, would you kind of close this out on a low key? I don't know low key. I just don't know that language. Brother, I believe that you can't get by this to give too much. Down in East Texas, where Brother John pastored for a number of years, wasn't in that church, but one about 20 miles from there, pastor had a pencil and he's figuring out how much his people spend on cigarettes and snuff. He said, you know, the congregation of 150, they spend every month $800 on cigarettes and $200 a month on snuff. He said, can you imagine, Brother Hughes, $1,000 a month going up and spit and smoke? He said, this is terrible. He said, the things that can't do mission work. We could give $12,000 to mission if our people could learn the joy of giving. I wish people today could learn the joy of giving. Meet my people. Oh, I came to church one Sunday morning, and my house was packed out with people, and I looked down there, and it was feathers all over the floor, and I looked, and there was a big old duck tied to the piano stool. And I went down there, and a little lady came out, they went to me and said, Pastor, that's my mission offering. I didn't have any money, but I brought my duck. I don't care how poor you are, you still give. If you love God. She learned the joy of giving. She brought her duck. You say, what would you do with the duck if you get in the offering next Sunday morning? Well, we took it and sold it and gave it to missions. Next Sunday, she had a big old squash it brought. Oh, listen. After I had gone out there in the mountain of Mindanao and I'd preached for a week there living in that little old bamboo house sleeping on the floor. And I'd lived there and I'd preached there for a week and taught the people to give and taught them the joy of giving. I did not want anything for my preaching. But you know, when I started to leave, they said, Pastor, don't leave yet. We've got something for you. They did not take the treasure and write out a check and give it to me. They did not call the men to come down and pass the offering plate. They sent the kids out to catch the love offering. And brother, when I saw the chicken flying into the trees, I knew I was about to get my love offering. And so, when I started to leave, they presented me with a big old bamboo basket with 27 chickens, two coconuts, and a sack of rice. You should have seen my wife when I got off the plane back in Cebu with 27 chickens, two coconuts, and a sack of rice, and by that time, three eggs. God had blessed my love offering in a wonderful, wonderful way. I didn't need those chickens and those eggs, but I'll tell you one thing. I would not refuse those people the blessing of gifts because they wanted to do it. They've been taught to do it. I wish in America we could wake up to the reality that it's a joy to give. It's a joy to have a part. My people in Cebu make an average of 45 cents a day. As I said, we have college teachers that don't make a dollar and a half a day. Last year they gave 3,000 U.S. dollars above their tithe commission. We support from that little church there in Cebu, 13 Filipino missionaries going out into the other islands to preach the gospel and establish churches. The pastor wrote me the other day and said, Brother Hughes, says, we've been looking at that island of behold, 750,000 people. Not one missionary, and we prayed, Oh God, send a missionary from America. Send some missionary that will love my people. Send somebody that will warn my people. 
I've been getting radio letters from that island for about eight years. But folks, I couldn't go there. He said, well, Brother Hughes, don't you have time? Oh, yeah. I preach 21 times a week on the broadcast. I preach three times on the telecast. I teach in my Bible college 10 hours a week. And then in the churches, I have time. I preach an average of 36 times a week there in the islands. How, how could I go to that island? But oh, they got a burden the other day. The Filipino pastor got some of the young people and they got on a little boat and they got off on the other side over there on that island. And they preached the gospel for three days and had 34 precious souls saved. And he wrote me the other day that they were praying for somebody to go. And one of our laymen in the church came forward and says, I'll go. I'll go. And he's going out as a layman from our church there. You say, oh, had he been called a preacher? What are you talking about? I get so sick and tired of people saying, well, God just can't use them. Listen, God's hard enough. He can even use you. Don't begin to boast when God begins to use you. Look what he got when he got me and your preacher and everybody else. But listen, when I first started there, I wanted to go to Lake and preach in some of these other islands. I just had four or five men. I just had a few people. But I wanted to go to these other places and preach the gospel. What do you do? I couldn't call Brother Rawlings and say, send me one of your associates to supply for me Sunday. No. I looked out and said, Brother Gisalva, you'll preach on Sunday morning. Brother Lamar, wish you'll take the service Sunday night. Brother Ludwig, you'll take the service on Wednesday night. You say, Brother Hughes, those men were not called. What are you talking about? I called them. <laughs> and brother, they've been pretty faithful. One of those men that I called three years later came forward and said, Brother Hughes, God's called me to preach. I said, what do you mean called to preach? God called you three years ago. You're just now surrendering. <laughs> Today, he's pastoring the Cebu Bible Baptist Church. And two weeks ago, they had 685 in Sunday school and seven saved. We haven't ordained him yet, but we're thinking about it when we get back. He's doing pretty fair without his ordination papers. God's blessing him. He's a medical doctor, doctor of medicine. God saved him. God's done something to him. And he wants to win souls. And I don't hinder anybody that wants to win souls. Let them go. And so God has worked in the heart. They've taught me the joy, the joy of giving this is an eternal investment. I did not come back to America to try to get people to give. I believe that we're trying to get you to make an investment that will help you in this life and in the life to come. An eternal investment. This is the greatest thing that we could do is make any, somebody said Americans are spending money they don't have, buying things they don't need, trying to impress people they don't even like. This is just about the way it is today. Why don't we wake up that if we're ever going to serve God, we better get involved in God's plan of worldwide evangelization. There are people that have not yet been evangelized in this world. There are two kinds of people in the world today. Those who can hear and those who cannot hear. You're blessed to be among those who can hear. There may be those who will not hear, but there's not a man in America that will be able to stand before God and say, I did not have an opportunity. Because he could turn on the radio. He could call up the church and the church would send a bus over in front of his door. He could hear the gospel. But what about those who have never heard and never had an opportunity to hear? Oh, listen, the front rows have been overpaid and we spend most of our time trying to beg Christians to go to church. Trying to beg absentees to be faithful while out on the other side on the back rows of the world. They've never had an opportunity. They've never heard. And we're doing our best to get the gospel to them while it is still yet day. For night is soon coming, for I feel that we don't have long. 
in the Orient. And if we ever intend to do any mission work, we better do it now. Not when we get it all paid for back here. Not when we get all the, 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 the chapels built and the steeples in and the bells in and the workers and all that and send what's left over. No, my friend. We've been sending leftovers to the mission field long enough. We need to think about sending our choice servants to the mission field. We think of a man's a failure here. Then let him go to the mission field. You keep him. We don't want him. You send us your choice servants. Those who know how. Like they wrote David Livingston from the mission's office many, many years ago and said, Dr. Livingston, when you build the roads and the roads get up to your station, then you write us and we'll send you missionaries. He wrote back and says, keep them. We don't want that kind. We want missionaries that will come whether they're roads or not. And folks, this is what we need in the world today. Men who go out and say, God's called me. And we need those kind today. As I sat where they sat, they taught me the meaning of simple faith. They taught me the joy of giving. Then another thing they taught me as I sat where they sat. They taught me not to be ashamed of my faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. You walk in Dr. Gisalva's office. Been a faithful member of our church a number of years. The first thing you'll see on that doctor's desk is a Bible. And brother, before you get a pill for your stomach, you'll get the gospel for your soul. That man believes in winning souls to Jesus Christ. He wins an average of three or four every week to Christ. He's a doctor. He has a clinic. He has a free clinic once a month and allows people to come who don't have any money. And before they can see him, he gives them a little uh, number and they can see him by the number but he has sometimes two or three hundred patients out on that day and he brings them all in a little chapel there, there in our building and he makes them all sit there and listen to him preach one hour before they can see him. He's pastoring the church also. He's got a real responsibility. I wish you could meet him and see how he has a radiant testimony for our Lord and Savior Jesus. Meet Attorney Descatado. We had the joy of going into his home three years ago and opening the Bible and winning he and his wife to the Lord that day. His wife's a college teacher. Three years ago, I have not been back to his home in three years. I tell our Christians when they get saved, our people when they get saved, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me even to church. I don't believe you ought to have to visit Christians all the time and beg them to go to church. And so our people, we're teaching them to be faithful to God. This attorney, the next Sunday, he brought another man to church and he was a karate expert. He got saved, now he's my head usher. Our God has been good to us to give us people in our church. Meet Dr. Rini Sison. Dr. Rini Sison, medical doctor. He graduated three years ago. He's been out in the practice. He wrote me the other day and said, Brother Hugh Scott's called me to preach. I believe that God's calling his top people into his work to that we might be able to go back and do a larger work than we've ever done before. Oh, go with me back to the island of Mindanao. And I'll show you the people that have taught me not to be ashamed of my faith. After preaching there in the mountains and coming down to the lowland, walking through the rice paddies up to my waist, we came up to a little bamboo house and I heard somebody crying. I said to Brother Brasileño, I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, that's the house of the bandit. I looked just inside and I could see the, a man with one arm gone. He lost it in one of the raids. I said, no, we'll have to stop here and see what's wrong. And we walked up closer to the house and I saw just inside the house a little bamboo bed with a mosquito net going up over the bed and candles burning all around the body of a woman who had just been killed two hours before. 
I told the man who I was, and he said, Oh, missionary, it's good that you came to our village today. Now you can pray for my wife. I said, Sir, I'm sorry, I cannot pray for your wife, but I can pray for you. And I opened my Bible and showed this man God's simple plan of salvation and laid my hand on his shoulder across the mosquito net, and I won him to Christ. I didn't know what would happen to the man. I went back to Cebu, and, and two years passed by, and I, I went back to the island, but not to the same village, to dedicate a new building. While we were there, I looked out there at my hand and said, Pastor Hughes, do you remember me? I said, yes, I remember you. He said, I'm the one that you led to Christ when my wife died. I said, where have you been? He said, you haven't heard? I said, no, I haven't heard. Where have you been? He said, oh, Pastor, he said, after you left my village, I became so burdened for the Vila untried. They never heard about Jesus. They do not have missionaries. They do not have anyone to tell them about Jesus. Every day I pray, oh, God, send missionaries to Vila untried. Send somebody to those people who have never heard. And one day the Lord said, These folks have taught me not to be ashamed of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I set my faith in it. And they've done something to my life. And I wish tonight as we visit them that you could get the same burden to say, I'll step out on simple faith. I'll be able to do more for God because I'm not going to be satisfied with just the small thing. But I'm going to get out on the limb where the fruit is. I'm going to step out. You say, Brother Hughes, God hasn't revealed any call to me. I say to you tonight, why do you need a call when you have a command in God's Word to preach the gospel to every creature? The call is right here in his book. You say, Brother Hughes, I haven't heard any voices. Why do you need a voice when we have a verse that says, ye shall be witnesses? A man walked up to me the other day, a young pastor whom God's dealing with, and said, Brother Hugh, I just think that I have to have a special call. I said, by the way, what's your telephone number? You know, I can't understand people. They sit back and wait for God to open a door when the world's going to hell. You can't take the gospel to the wrong address. That's right. Just get up and go and go any direction and win everybody you meet. Speak to everybody you meet. The pastor was worried. I said, you come over and you win four or five thousand people to the Lord in a ministry out there. I don't think God will hold that against you when you get to heaven. Come on, folks. The need is great. The time is short. You say, now let's don't send all our people to the mission field. Don't you worry. We're not going to get overpopulated with missionaries on the farm team. And 99 that will stay in the States, only one will go. Where are they? Where are those that are willing to sit where they sit? Where are those that sit? You want a call? You listen now carefully and you'll get a call. There's a call come ringing over the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. Those people out there are not concerned whether you're called or not. They just want to hear about Jesus. They just need to know how to be saved. They just need to know about John 3.16. While you sit here on Sunday night and rejoice about the second coming of Jesus Christ, most of the people have never heard that he came the first time. What are we doing, folks? We're playing with it. Aren't we going to be ashamed of ourselves when he comes back and he says, Why? Oh, why? Oh, why? Did you not evangelize the world? But, oh God, 
I was trying to preach. I was trying to win souls here at home. Oh, listen. You've heard over and you've heard over and over and over and over and over and over again. Most of the people here tonight have heard the gospel more than I have. I got saved when I was young. I went to the Philippines when I was 17. I came back and immediately went to Bible school and headed back to the Philippines the day I graduated. I haven't heard much preaching. That's the reason I appreciate the messages and broadcasts and the records of this church so much. Sometimes I go down into my little recording room and I'll sit there. And I'll put on a record and I'll listen to it and I'll listen to the singing. And I'll listen to the preaching. Because I don't have a preacher. I don't have anybody to preach to me. And when the invitation is given, I want to get up and go forward. I'll tell you, this is what it does. Oh, God help us that we'll see as we sit where they sit. As we're where they are. Can you not see these items? Can they not feel what I feel? What do you want to do about it? I think we ought to do like little boy out in Denver, Colorado. He came forward in the service and said, Brother Hughes, I've already surrendered my life to God, but I want God to know I'm available. I wonder what would happen tonight in the Landmark Baptist Temple if everybody would become available. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I'm available. I don't know where I can go, but I'm available. Oh, listen, my friend, tonight, just be available. Just face yourself at God's disposal and say, Lord, I'm yours. You're my Lord. I'll just do what you want me to do. And that's all God wants. If you'll do that, God will take you and he'll use you and he'll do mighty things in your life if you'll only make yourself available. Why not tonight? Can you hear that still small voice saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? You can say right now in your heart, Lord, I might not be very much, but I'm willing to make myself available to God. Shall we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Just for a moment of prayer. Amen. Are you blessed with the message? Amen. Amen. That's a really, um, you know, um, heart-touching message of Pastor Bob used. But I want to, you know, maybe include this a very special message. thing to know why we are here tonight. 50 years ago. What's the date today? The 11th of February. A few, few days ago, 31st of January, and 50 years ago, Pastor Bob Hughes married a couple. That guy married a couple, and that couple are here tonight. Pastor Johnny Datoy and Mom Tess. Amen. Would you like to give a testimony, Pastor? Sorry, folks. That really brought me joy because I'm a product of man. Uh, actually, Pastor Gisaba was the one who married us. I mean, both of them married us. But uh, when we got married, Tess and I were like dog and cats fight all the time. <laughs> but, praise 
is the word policeman, Dr. Hartman, Dr. Babius. He would take us like we were his children, help us and teach us the word of God. I miss that man. I saw how he worked hard for souls. And just like the preaching the other night, Pastor Dennis, little man, you need to have compassion for souls. We cannot just sit here. There are souls dying marching 12. And we are comfortable. I hope that that message really touched your heart. Thirteen years after we left the Philippines, the first person that I went to visit was Dr. Amici Salva. And that's very true. He had like hundreds, three hundred. Uh, he was a he was a pediatrician, a doctor for kids, and there were patients every day. But he would deal every person, tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time we met in church, he said to me, Dr. Amiji Saba, he said to me, uh, what do you do tomorrow? I said, nothing. Well, I have my clinic. If you can have, drop by, and I will just want to know you more. And so I dropped by his clinic. And first thing he said to me, John, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Do you know for you where you spent eternity? Anytime you die. I said, oh, my dad uh, is, uh, is very faithful in church. I'm not asking about your dad. I'm asking. If you know for sure where you will spend eternity, when you die. I said, no. And he opened me the Bible. And praise God, he did. Dr. Amiji Salva, that's what he said, four to six people average a day. He would win people to the Lord and I praise God for that because of Dr. Babius as well. In fact, 13 years after we were in Australia, we went back home and he's the first time, uh, the first person that I would see, see and uh, he asked me upstairs into his bedroom and he has a, a place where he he kneels down by himself. And on top were frames of pictures. And this was these were pictures of his families and other people. And one of these pictures was this. I didn't even realize that there is this picture. I said, that's that's us. With Dr. Babius. He said, yes. John, 
all those there. Since I met these people, and including you, I never stopped praying every day for them. And praise God, I carry that. There are people that I pray for for years and years now, every day. Since I met Pastor Lewis Howell in Sydney, I never stopped praying for him every day, until today. I'm not kidding. Um, because I have that passion that I get from my pastor. You need to be praying for one another. You need to be praying for one another. So I hope that you were really encouraged with that. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to give a testimony. Amen. <laughs> um, Pastor Babius died when he was 46 years old. So young. He preached and prayed to God that they can build an auditorium that can hold 2,000 people. But now it's 6,000 at this present. 6,000 build uh, capacity building. And they have a lot of services because it, it's not enough. And that was, you know, that happened because of the decision of, you know, one man. He loved the unsaved. He goes to the, you know, uh, the heathen. And again, I am just like a great, great grandchild of that man in the faith. And I, I thank the Lord. He died before, you know, uh, I got saved. But the testimony of him, his preaching, that is his preaching before he discovered he has cancer. But I listened to his, the last sermon that he made on this earth. Um, Carest thou not that we perish. You know, equally beautiful message also I heard, and I'm just moved. That preaching, I I I, I drive long drive. I always play that. And every time, I can stop my tears. Sorry, I'm not leave here. By the way, very quickly, his illness was due to visiting places like Buhol and he had to keep it because he could not just do it in the bushes, <laughs> you know? There were no toilets there, that, you know? And he was not used to it and so he had to keep it. And sometimes he had to miss eating just, but he had to <laughs> keep the dirt and that really destroyed him. He visits places, no toilets, and he doesn't want to go to the bush to, to do it. He waits until he arrives home. And in the end, it cost him colon cancer and he died with that cancer, very young age. Right, so let's Let's take a break for a while, five to ten minutes, and if you want to use the toilet and, and, and drink some drinks, 
Um, and we will have the final message tonight, all right? So, just um, yes, yes, a little break.
buying our seats now. If you're about to finish your meal, yeah, you can finish it on the side, but we are going to start now. Find your place. Find your place. Oh. Yeah. All right. So let's. This is 8:30. Let's all stand and let's sing this yeah, it um, song, bringing in the sheaves. If our musicians um, ready there, let's have this song, bringing in the sheaves. Let's all stand, please. No fingerprint. No fingerprint. All right, you heard the man stand. <laughs> oh no, let them stand up. Now we wait five minutes for the words to get on the screen. Alright. Bringing in. Now when he's gone for the night, he's there. Starting in the morning, saying, Save the time. This first one, saying, Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the
it. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Tonight, let's prepare our hearts once again. Prepare our Bibles. And take note uh, for our speaker, for last speaker of the night. Um, he's known already to us. Um, he's a pastor of um, um, Mountain Lake. <laughs> Mountain Lake uh, Independent Baptist Church from Maryland, USA. Pastor Dennis Letterman. Please come, Pastor. It's good to be back out, and uh, I'm glad you're out this evening on a Saturday night, coming out to church, singing, preaching, fellowshipping together, and eating, and eating, and eating, and eating. And eating. <laughs> I was sitting up here, so I wouldn't eat so much. They started bringing food up to me. So, uh, but no, I'm glad you're here, and I'm so grateful you've been out. It's been a good conference this year, hasn't it? Soul in the Revival. And uh, I appreciate, Brother Hal. If you would, Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. Your Bible's Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you open your Bible right smack dab in the middle, you'll hit Psalms. And go back from Psalms, you'll hit Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you'll find that, I want to thank Brother Hal for the good message. Challenge me. Appreciate his leadership. Amen. And, uh, how God is using him yes. uh, here uh, to stir up soul and getting these tracks in by the millions. Amen. And what a tremendous thing. And I want to thank Pastor for showing that video of Bob Hughes. My heart is stirred. And when that was all said and done, I sat there and I thought, my, my, what? What more can be said than what he's just what was just challenged us? And uh, so, so many things running through my mind. And one is this, and, and I used to say this. I used to say in our in our churches and in our Sunday school classes and in our ministry, there's another Bob Hughes. And I used to say there's another Jack Hiles. There's another Billy Sunday. There's right. another, and but I changed. I don't say that anymore because I don't believe. There's another Bob Hughes. There's only one Bob Hughes. Amen. And there'll never be another one. But I'll tell you what is in our churches. There's young men, young ladies that are in, indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. Amen. Indwelt Bob Hughes. Amen. And have the same gospel that yes. they preach. And what we need is to get that compassion and that faith and that vision that he had. And then take that gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and go out into the world that you and I live in today. So I don't believe, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. I don't believe there's another Bob Hughes. I think it's just uh, put whatever name you want in there. And if we'll just give ourselves to the same God that he gave himself to and be filled with the same Holy Spirit that he was filled with and preach the same gospel that he preached. Amen. I think uh, I think one of the best ways, I hope you'll bear with me a moment. I know it's late and tomorrow's the Lord's Day. And we want to be fresh and ready for the Lord's Day. We want to be our Amen. best on the Lord's Day. Amen. And so, but um, I think the best way to honor men, like Bob Hughes, that's who we're talking about tonight. I think the best way to honor these great men that are going on to the Lord is to imitate their faith. Amen. Amen. And follow their example and follow the trail that they blaze for us. And there are uh, there are cities, there are countries, nations in our world that need the gospel as badly as the Philippines did when he showed up. Yeah. 
And he talked about the heathen. Who wants the heathen? You know what I, I was telling Pastor? You know what I thought of? I thought of a 19-year-old heathen on the outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania that was a sorry, sinful wretch. Just an old spiritual heathen. I'm glad Jesus loves heathen. Amen. I'm glad Jesus loves old sinners and saves them. So thank you. My heart is stirred. I know it's late. I just want to give you three thoughts real quickly tonight. And I think maybe this might tie all this together, what we've been talking about. Look with me if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, all the way towards this end, just about the very end of Ecclesiastes. And verse number 1 makes somewhat of an unusual statement here. I'll try and explain the best I understand it. In verse 1 he says, Cast thy bread upon the waters. For thou shalt find it after many days. Amen. Then come over to verse number 6, if you would. He says, In the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both alike, whether they both shall be alike good. I just want to give you a quick thought, just in a few moments, in three, three points. Cast thy bread and sow your seed. Cast your bread and sow your seed. Let's pray. Father, Lord, my heart's been stirred. I don't know what else to add to what's been done, dear Lord. So I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you take what has already been presented. Lord, this beautiful music, these songs that just touch my heart. And I ask now you bring this thing to a head. Help us to tie this together. And that lives would be changed. And God, maybe as a result of what's happened today, yesterday, the last couple days here in Auckland, maybe there'll be many, 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 many thousands of souls saved. And lives change because of decisions that are made here in these meetings. So I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I yield my will to you anew. I present my body anew. All my heart, I pray again tonight, God, fill me and please speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The book of Ecclesiastes is, it can be a very confusing book. I know I've read it in years gone by, and there's statements made. Now it's penned by Solomon, King Solomon. It's actually a sermon he preached in Jerusalem to the people of God. It's kind of a personal testimony. And he makes statements in the book of Ecclesiastes that on the surface don't make sense. This, is, this man has supernatural wisdom given to him by God. And he makes statements like this. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Vexation of spirit. He says that over and over. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Why is he saying that life is vanity? Why is he talking about vexation of spirit? There's a little phrase that is used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And if we understand that little phrase, then all of this makes sense. And this is what that little phrase is. Under the sun. And we don't have time. I normally would go back and look through it. I got it highlighted. But if you start in chapter 1, you'll find he'll make this statement. Under the sun. Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. What does he mean by that? This is what this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying he came to a point in his life 
where he had pushed God out of his life. And he says, all I was living for was that which is under the sun. In other words, all I was living for, I was looking for fulfillment. I was seeking peace of mind. I was trying to find purpose in my life under the sun. In other words, as if there was no God, as if there was nothing beyond this earth. You know, it's uh, disturbing how foolish a wise man can be. It's disturbing how sinful a godly man can be. Solomon was the wisest man born of woman apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, you study the book of Ecclesiastes, he pushed God out of his life. There was a period of time in his life where he pushed God out of his life and he sought fulfillment in possessions. And he wanted to find purpose and meaning in things and possessions, bigger and better houses. And you know what his conclusion was? Vanity of vanity. I'm telling you, if I'm talking to you here tonight, you're living for this world and your whole happiness and your whole purpose and everything you're living for is for material gain and stuff. I know one thing about you. Your life is empty. Your life is empty. He said, I sought for meaning and purpose and education. That's true. Higher learning, and I wanted to learn it all. And he says, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. And he goes through there. And then as he comes to the end of this sermon, comes to the end of the book, he begins to testify to the fact that he realized how foolish he was. And he came back to the Lord. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's giving some advice. And, I, and, and if we had a little more time, I'd like to get into that. But I want to zero in on these two statements that Solomon makes. He had made a mess of his life. He's getting things right. He's getting his values back in line. He's getting his priorities back in place. And he makes this statement. He says, cast thy bread upon thy water. Sow thy seed in the morning, and sow it again at night. For thou knowest not whether it comes, what comes forth. I want us to consider those two statements. Casting our bread and sowing our seed. My first thought is this. I'm just boiling this down just for brevity's sake. My first thought is this. There needs to be commitment. There needs to be commitment. We've been preaching on soul winning. We've been preaching on the need of the gospel in Auckland and New Zealand and really around the world. We sing about it, and I kind of touched on this the other night. We sing about it, we preach about it, and we talk about it. But I think there needs to just come a point, and maybe tonight is the night, where we could just need to come and say, all right, I see the need, I know what the answer is, I'm going to commit myself to getting the gospel out. Commitment. He says, cast thy bread upon the water. Now there's a lot of, it's not real clear what he means by casting our bread on water. Sunday school teacher was teaching her children on this passage one time and she asked the class, she goes, what do you think happens when you cast your bread on the water? And one little boy went, ooh, 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 ooh. The teacher said, yes, Johnny. And he says, I know what happens when you cast your bread on the water. You get soggy bread. <laughs> 
I don't think Solomon is telling us to take slices of bread and throw it out on the water. Now, maybe that's what he's saying. And he says, it'll come back to you. That would be a miraculous thing, right? If you throw bread in the water and it comes back, the fish don't, would eat it. You know, there's a lot of things happen to it. It comes back. Wow, that's a miracle. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Here's what I think. Bread, that, the, the economy then was an agricultural economy. Bread was a staple of their meals. And I think he was saying this, that when you make your bread, why don't you invest that? And when he says cast on the waters, and I hope I can make this clear, what I believe he's saying is he's talking about taking this commodity bread and putting it on ships, investing it on ships, and sending it out to cities and ports all around the area there and sharing and spreading the bread that they had, sending it out to others. It was a type of investment he was advising. Now, I think that's what he means. But when he says, cast thy bread upon the water, he's saying you need to come to a point where I am willing to commit that bread to the waters. I'm willing to commit that bread. You follow what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? He says, don't just sit around with bread stacked up in your pantry. Don't just, don't just store the bread in your house. That's right. Invest it. Make a commitment. Get it out there. I don't think the problem with reaching the lost with the gospel in our need, I don't think the reason there are cities and towns all across North Island and South Island that have no little or no gospel witness, I don't think it's because we don't have the resources. I don't think there's countries around the world. We, our church has adopted the country of Kazakhstan in, uh, in uh, Central Asia. And we are praying and working hard to get missionaries to go to that old Soviet bloc country. There's 18 million people there. We know of two independent fundamental Baptists there. 18 million people, two missionaries that I know of. The problem, the reason we have countries like that, and the reason there's so many people that have no witness, isn't because we have no resources. I'm suggesting to you the church in 2023 has more money available to it than it ever has in the history of the church. We have better facilities. We have more buildings. But still, people are reaching. You know what I think the problem is? It isn't ignorance. It isn't lack of resources. What, what did Peter say when they saw the beggar at the temple? He said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I what? Give unto you. It was a commitment. I think this is what I'm getting at. I think the problem is that we're not willing to commit ourselves to do what needs to be done. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I wonder if there isn't some young men in these services, maybe one of the previous service here tonight, that their heart is stirred. They know, they know there's a need. Their heart is stirred. Maybe God's been doing something. I, I don't know how you listen to a sermon like we just heard on that video, and your heart not be served. He's right. I wonder if there isn't somebody that just needs to say, okay, Lord, I'll go.
Just cast that bread. All right, I'm going to give my life as the bread. I'm just going to commit it. Until there's commitment on the part of God's people, lost people will not be reached. That's right. There must be commitment. Cast thy bread upon the water. I hope you get that word, commitment. There must be commitment. It is the commitment of God's people that will take the gospel to the unsaved. Say, preacher, I'm not very educated. Preacher, I don't have a lot of talents or abilities. I don't have a lot of skills. God's not looking for talents or abilities or even education. God's looking for willingness. Amen. Somebody will say with Isaiah, here am I, Lord. Help me. What's he say? Send me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Ladies, girls, God's speaking your heart. I give my life to go to the field. I give my life to reach the lost. I'll give what I what, what the rest of the life I have, I'll commit it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the need of the hour is Christians that will commit themselves to taking the gospel to the lost. Praise the Lord. Yes. That's what we need. Our Bible college is back home. You know what the you know what the presidents and, and, the, and the leaders in the Bible colleges are telling me, they said, we have students coming that want to get degrees in business and accounting and technology. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, he said, you know what they say? This is what we need. We need students who will give themselves for the gospel. For the gospel. The problem is we're living under the sun. But there is an eternity beyond the sun. Right. And we must commit ourselves. Cast thy bread upon them. If you're going to sow that seed in the ground, you've got to let go of the seed and commit yeah. it to the ground. And if you and I are going to make a difference in this world, if you and I are going to make a difference in someone's life, if you and I are going to see the quote-unquote heathen come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to commit ourselves to that. Talk about it and sing about it and, and preach about it. Maybe we just need to come to a night, uh, come to a point and just say, all right, there's the line. Who's gonna who's on the Lord's side? Mm. Who's just gonna give your life? You say, preacher, if I give my life to the Lord, if I give my life to missions, I give my life to the gospel, I might have to give up some things. Yeah, it's called commitment. Let me ask you a question. You think Bob Hughes regrets now? He's in eternity. He's in the present. You think he regrets giving his life to the mission field? No. So there must be commitment. There must be commitment. Most Christians fail in their Christian service not because of a lack of desire, but because of a lack of commitment. Listen to what Jesus said. Greater love hath no man than this, than a, than a man what? Lay down his life for his life. You know what? That's commitment. Let me ask you, mom, dad, young people, are you willing to lay down your life for the need of the gospel around the world? Are you willing to come and say, all right, I, I love the Lord. I'm going to give my life. Wherever God leads me, if it's here in New Zealand, if it's in uh, uh, some islands here back in the Philippines, if it's in the Middle East, I want to give my life. I don't think it's a lack of desire. 
I think it's a lack of commitment. The subject of commitment runs all through the Bible. Having an influence in the world begins with commitment. Again, we don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Don't, don't turn there. We don't have time. But Paul is commending the church at Corinth there for their investment in missions. And they invested a lot of money. And they were in poverty. They were poor. They were probably giving ducks. <laughs> I, I want to play this for our people. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start getting bug-offering ducks. I know. <laughs> I know my people. I, actually, I'll tell you this. I do have some folks. They have chickens. And it's not uncommon to come and say, Preacher, we were a little tight, but we just brought you some eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but he's commending them for their investment and their burden and their desire to get the gospel out to people. But I, in verse, I think it's verse 5, but he makes this statement. He says, but you first committed yourselves. You first gave yourselves. He's, you know what? Different a diff we will make a difference in the world when we get to the point where we're willing to commit ourselves to the gospel. I remember August, August 25th, 1985. I was down at Highland Park Baptist Church. Back, I went to Tennessee Temple. And Dr. Robertson had already uh, retired from the church there, but he preached one night. That Sunday night, God stirred my heart. I was living for the Lord. I was giving out tracts. I was working in the bus ministry. Preaching in the chapels. I was very active. I was playing, I think I may have mentioned this. I wanted to be a school teacher. I was being trained to be a school teacher. I wanted to teach first and second grade. Because that's what my IQ level was. And, uh, I I God was stirring in my heart. And when that invitation was given, I had a decision to make. Amen. Am I just going to keep on living my life the way I want or am I going to commit myself to the will of God? I knelt at an old-fashioned altar. It was over on this side of the pulpit. I knelt at that altar. And I said, God, I just give myself. You take me. You use me wherever you want. I thank God for that decision. Maybe that's a decision you need to make. God, I just give myself. I'm going to commit myself to getting the gospel to the lost. Number one, commitment. Write this word down. I'd like to say more about it, but write this word down. Uh, commitment, the second one is there must be faith. There must be faith. Uh, look there in verse number one. He says, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou... Notice, notice the wording he uses here. Very careful wording he uses. Cast thy bread upon the water, for thou shalt find it. Not maybe, might, not could... But you will find it. In other words, he's saying, you commit yourself to God. You commit yourself to the gospel. You commit yourself to reaching the lost. And God will use you. We must believe that. Jesus had, for three and a half years, Jesus gathered around him 12 men. There was disciples. Eventually became the apostles. One of them, of course, was a traitor. I think Paul replaced them. God's economy. And for three and a half years, he trained these 12 men. And one thing, he rebuked them over and over and over. He rebuked them sharply. You know what he rebuked them for? He never rebuked them for not having enough money. 
He never rebuked them for not having big enough crowds. He rebuked them for not having faith. Why don't you believe me? Where is your faith? They're out in a boat in a storm. They think they're going to drown and die. And Jesus gets up before he says anything. He says, what's the matter? I'm putting this in Leathermanism, okay? What's the matter with you guys? Why won't you believe? And over and over and over, he rebuked his disciples for not having faith. You and I got to get to the point where we commit ourselves to the Lord. And then we just trust that God is going to use us. You say, preacher, I just don't see how God could use me. That's exactly the kind of person God uses. When we're weak, then he is strong. Amen. Paul said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I just come a weak, old sinner saved by grace and say, Lord, I don't have much. I'm not a whole lot, but Lord, what I am, I give to you. And Lord, I just trust you're going to use me. I just trust you're going to use me. Amen. There must be faith. There must be faith. Every successful child of God learned to have faith in God. I'm thinking about Hughes saying, Bob Hughes learned to trust God. Amen. He learned to believe that what God says is so. He believed that God could use him. Gave himself. Listen, God can use you. Amen. Very true. These young girls here, Amen. God can use every single one of these girls in amazing way. These young fellows back here, over here, and us uh, not young people. Um, you know, God can use a senior citizen to reach others with the gospel. Very true. Amen, Amen or not? Faith, we got to believe that. So, number one, commitment. Number number two, there needs to be faith. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Can I amend that? I'm not changing the Bible, but I just, for the sake of the message, let me put it this way. For we serve by faith, not by sight. Don't look at yourself and try to evaluate whether God can use me or not. No, no, no. Give yourself to the Lord. Let Him decide whether He can. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Faith. Faith believes the promises of God. Psalm 26, 5 and 6. For he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. There must be faith. Uh, faith believes the promises of God. Faith relies upon the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Dennis Leatherman has no spiritual power in and of myself. But when I got saved, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt me. And Jesus said, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. How many folks here tonight, you're saved, you know it. Say amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God indwells your body. Don't tell me God can't change people's lives with you indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. I'll never believe it. That a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God can't do something for the Lord. I'll never believe that. That's right. Faith. When I was 
in Bible college several summers. I traveled in the summer, summer ministries. The day after graduation, we went out to training. Then we traveled all summer preaching youth rallies all across the country. My last year I traveled, I was just about, I mean, that close, so close to getting engaged to my present wife. I mean, we, we had it settled, we knew it, but I just hadn't popped the question yet. And so I was going to travel this summer, and at the end of summer, I was going to settle. Now, it was very strict ministry. We were allowed to write one letter a week. And we were allowed to receive one letter a week. And if more than one letter came in, they would only forward one of them to wherever we were. And so... Kathy, my, my very, 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 very close to be fiancé, would write me one letter a week. You know, 10, 12 weeks away from someone you're that very, very close to getting married to, that's a long time to be away. Someone said absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes it makes the heart forget. <laughs> So I, I was messing her, and every week I'd get to church, and there'd be a letter waiting for me there. Dennis Leatherman. And up in the corner, Kathy Shiflett. I'd get that letter, I'd get it. Oh, she perfumed it. I'd tear it open so carefully. Pull that letter out. And it would say stuff like, she called me Denny. Denny. Dearest Denny, you are the most handsome man I've ever seen in my life. You're the smartest person I know on planet Earth. You're the greatest preacher that has ever lived. That, that's the thing I liked about her. She was very insightful and very... Uh... <laughs> and every letter that whole summer, I, every letter I got from her, she would at the bottom sign her name and then she would write this. She said, don't believe in miracles. Depend on them. Get it? Oh, we all believe in miracles. Why don't we get to the point where we just commit ourselves to Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, it has to be a miracle for something to happen here. Just to be a miracle. I'll pray for years. I need to wind down. I'll pray for years. I pray, God, use me in such a way that only you get the glory for it. Amen. I want my ministry, when, I'm, when it's all said and done, I want what has happened in my life and ministry I want people to look at that and say, there's no way Dennis Leatherman did that. Only God could have done that. That's right. That's right. Only God. I had a, we had a, a reunion of my high school graduation, and I was a punk. I was a heathen. And I got saved after high school, and we had a reunion, and they did it on Zoom during the lockdowns and everything. And all these people I graduated with were on that screen there. And every one of them said... What in the world happened to Denny? <laughs> He's a Baptist preacher? 
And you know what I said? I said, it's God who did that. Amen. Faith. You've got to believe that God can. Why don't you just step across that line and say, Lord, here am I. I'll do it. I'm committing Amen. myself to the gospel ministry. And then just decide, I'm going to trust God to use me. Amen. I'm going to believe that he will use me. Let me give you the last word, and then we'll quit. Number one, commitment. Number two, there needs to be faith. And number three, put this one down. There needs to be persistence. Notice what he says here. Cast thy bread upon the water, and thou shalt find it after what? Many days. He doesn't say you'll find it tomorrow. You know what? Sometimes to make a difference in this whole world of the gospel, it might take a whole lifetime of service. I found things don't happen overnight. That's true. You just got to stay at it and stay at it and stay at it yes. and stay at it. Yes. And just keep on giving. You say, preacher, we give out hundreds of thousands of tracts and we see so little fruit. Stay at it. That's right. Amen. Just stay at it. Just stay at it. Just stay at it. I have young preachers call me up. Sometimes I'm a little older now. And young preachers call me up and say, Preacher, I'm going through this bug. I just had one reason. Preacher, I'm going through this issue. And I just think I ought to resign and, and move on. I say, don't you do it. Here's my little phrase I like to use. Just stay the course. Just stay the course. Just keep on preaching the gospel. Just keep on going after the lost. Just preach in the old book. Amen. You don't need a new Bible. Just stay yep. right at it. Yep. Amen. We don't have a new message. We don't need new music. We just stay at it. Yep. Stay at it. Stay at it. Persistence. After many days, thou shalt find it. Amen. Stay at it. Stay. Oakland needs gospel preaching churches. Or, or oh, where are we at? Auckland. Amen. Auckland needs. Gospel preaching churches. Auckland uh, needs folks giving out the gospel. And we have to stay at it and stay at it and stay at it and stay at it. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, and the road you're traveling seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler is given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. He learned too late that when the night came down, he, how close he was to that golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint on the clouds of doubt. You never can tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's Amen. when things seem worse that you must not quit. Amen. The world is reached by people who will not quit. Stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. Number one, commit yourself to the gospel. Just say, I'm, here I am, Lord. Boom, I'm yours. I'm committing to this. Maybe it's a call to the foreign field. Maybe it's God stirring your heart to pastor a church. Maybe it's a young lady give herself to serve the Lord. I don't know. Church member. 
just make that we've heard we've been challenged tremendously all tonight maybe tonight's the night to make a commitment amen, amen. and then just trust God just believe him that will use you it's not yes. your strength my strength it's God and then just stay at it 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 we have a missionary I'll end with this we have a missionary we support down in Brazil he's been down there 40 years, I think. Started churches all over that uh, Sao Paulo, all over, all over that area. Goes up the Amazon to these back uh, villages, never been reached. He's doing a phenomenal work. Thousands and thousands saved. Sean Lundy is his name. Sean Lundy was a teenage boy in Oklahoma City. 19 years old, he went out to the market. I think it was a Kmart or something. He's going to get a few things. He went in, bought his stuff. He came out, and on the windshield wiper of his car was a gospel track. Stuck in the windshield wiper of his car. <coughs> he didn't know what it was. He saw it, took it, and stuck it in his pants pocket. He got home. He was emptying his pockets like we do, and there was that gospel track. He didn't know what it was. He laid it on his dresser. A few days went by, he got looking at it. He sat down and read it through. How did he say? He read on the back that little prayer, and a 19-year-old boy bowed his head and prayed and called the Lord to be his Savior. There was a church name and address stamped on that track, and he said, I'm going to go to that church. He showed up at the church. He thought the track was a ticket to get you in the church. <laughs> and the ushers were in the back, and he says, I've got somebody left me this ticket to come to church here, and uh, I'd like to come in. And they said, okay, well, well, that's that ticket. Tell you what, you just keep that ticket and come on in. The preacher preached, and Sean came forward, got baptized. Went through their training they had there, their school. God called him to go to Brazil. Mm. He's been down there 40 years winning souls, starting churches. Mm. Now here's what I want to say. Somebody put that tract on his windshield. Mm. So I almost threw our church here a few years ago and I asked him. I said, did you ever find out who put that tract on your windshield? He says, I have no idea. That person that put the tract on the windshield has no idea who Sean is. Wow. They just stuck a tract on the windshield went on. And God used that bread that he cast on the water, that seed he sowed, to do a phenomenal work. And the fellow that put the tract on it, to this day, has no idea. How God used All these tracks you're putting out, you'll never convince me God's not using it. There are people getting saved, lives being changed. Who knows what God is doing? And we'll never know till we get to heaven. You stay at it. You stay at it. You stay at it. You stay at it. Don't you quit. Amen. Never, never, ever, ever quit. Amen. Amen. You fall down, get back up. If you stumble, get your feet again and go on. Stay the course. But first, commit yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, this has been a powerful night in my heart.
I've been challenged. And God, maybe tonight's a crazy's point for some folks. Maybe tonight is a comes to a head where somebody needs to make a decision. I'm going to commit myself to the gospel ministry. I'm going to commit my life to reaching the lost with the gospel. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me just let me just put it out there. Let me just say this. Is there someone here tonight you say, Preacher, God's dealing with my heart about giving my life to the gospel ministry, whether it's missions or preaching or whatever it is. Just give, is there any any here at all, young or old? Say, Preacher, God's dealing with my heart and my mind about giving my life to the gospel. Any like that by the uplifted hand? How about it? Any at all? God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you. Many all across. I believe God's calling me. I want to... I, want, I believe God's stirring my heart to give my life. Whatever it may be, a preacher, a missionary, just a soul winner, street preacher, whatever. How about it? Any others? Preacher, pray for me. I believe God's stirring my heart. God bless you and you. God bless you and you. Now listen, that stirring is in the heart. You need to cast your bread on the water. Maybe tonight say, all right, Lord, I'm committing. Here I am. I hear the call. I'm responding. Will you do that? Will you do that? You say, preacher, I don't know if I can carry through. you got to have faith. And then you just stay at it. Just stay at it. I'm talking to someone tonight. You say, preacher, I've been thinking about giving up. I stumbled. I messed up. Maybe. You got discouraged for whatever reason. You say, I don't see a lot of fruit. And you say, preacher, I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to stay at it. I'm, I changed my mind. I'm not quitting. Any like that by the uplifted hand, preacher? I, I, I thought about quitting. God bless you. Say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to quit. Whether there's some just say, preacher, I don't understand it all, but I'm just going to trust God through it all. I'm just going to have faith that he'll do it through me. Any like that, preacher, I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust. And God bless you. Father in heaven, bless the invitation time tonight. Maybe if there's someone to maybe play a piano for us. And we'll just give an invitation, finish this thing out here. Let's stand together. If you would, you raise your hand. God stirred your heart. You say, preacher, I, I need to make that commitment. I've talked about it enough. We've sung about it. It's time for me to take action and make that commitment. And why don't you come on this evening? This old altar up here, this open area. Why don't you come on? Say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. I'm giving myself to that. Say, preacher, I'm scared. Trust God. Trust Him. God's stirring. God's calling you. Let's do it. There's no more Bob Hughes. They're just you and I. But we have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same gospel. And if we'll just trust God and give ourselves and stay at it, God can do great things. How about it? I'm surrendering tonight. I'm raising the white flag. Yes, Lord, your will, not my will. I'm giving myself to you, Lord. I'm giving myself. How about it? Commitment. Commitment. Maybe say, preacher, I've been discouraged. I'm thinking about quitting. Why don't you come in order and just tell God, God, I ain't going to quit. I ain't quitting until the rapture happens or I keel over dead. I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. How about it? I can't call anybody, but God can. He does. Have to yield to that. We have to surrender that. Maybe you've been saved, you've not been baptized. Why don't you come out and out for Christ? Say, all right, I'm getting baptized.
I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm unashamed, a follower of Christ. Whatever it is, whatever God is dealing with your heart about, you just trust. And let him have his way.
their problems maybe. In the future, Lord, remember these people and remember this commitment that they have made tonight. And fulfill, Lord, fulfill their desire. Lord, we praise you. We magnify your name. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to surrender our lives to you. And Lord, thank you for moving the Holy Spirit in our midst tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.